Sunday, Northgate. What a beautiful day with the sun and the snow. Beautiful colors. Or at least when I'm recording this on Saturday, I hope Sunday is a nice day too. But Happy New Year 2021. This is actually my third time doing it. And last time I said 2001, I was only 20 years off. But anyways, we want to get into God's Word this morning and see how he will encourage us in his truth. We're studying the book of Joshua. We're in chapter 9 this week. But let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord Jesus, I pray that your word, your truth, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would speak to us. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. So here we are in chapter 9. Last week we talked about the blessings of God, how they had victory over Ai after they had lost that battle, but through repentance, confession, obedience, the good grace of God, the goodness of who he is, they defeated that city. And in that time, just to give you an idea, as they entered the land of Canaan, it was like a, a city country. So each of these cities had a king, and some were creating treaties to fight against the Israelites, as we see at the beginning of chapter 9. And others were not. They've defeated Jericho and Ai. But there's one group of people who does not want to fight against them, but rather wants to make a treaty. And so as we look at this chapter, we will see that. And they're going to deceive them in some of the things they do. But for a little background information, you might say, well, why wouldn't Israel want to create a treaty? In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God had told them clearly that in the land of Canaan, they were not to have any treaties with the people. Now, other nations, they were more than welcome to have treaties with. But the evil of these countries, of these cities, was something God did not want a part of Israel. So they had a clear command that treaties were not to be had with the people of this nation. So we meet the Gibeonites, and they know God's word. And we know evil know God's word. And we know Satan knows how to deceive using God's word. And here they come because they know and they say we're from a far land. But we don't want to get too far into just explaining the story without reading about it. So here we are in Joshua chapter 9 verse 3. It says, When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai... They worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors, and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgah and said to him, to the men of Israel, why we have come, excuse me, from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? And they said to him, From a very far country. Your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. Verse 11. Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Now therefore make a covenant 
with us. This bread of ours we took hot from our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we filled were new, and see, they are torn. And these are garments, and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. In Joshua 9, verse 14, you might want to circle this verse. It says, Then the men of Israel took some of their provision, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. But it happened at the end of three days after they had made the covenant with them that they heard that there were their neighbors who dwelt near to them. They were deceived that things were not as they had heard. And quite a story, but we know as we're walking in this life with the Lord that we do face an enemy. That enemy is the devil and sometimes the devil is seen in first peter 5 it would describe him as a roaring lion as someone we know who is evil wicked and is really causing pain we see that in the world there are things we can see that are absolutely evil but there are other times that the devil comes as an angel of light or we might say in the story of genesis as you know the sneaky serpent a one who is lying, the one who brings forth good, though it is only to destroy. Second Corinthians 11, verse 13 to 15, describes this very well, and it says, Satan himself transforms himself into that angel of light, and goes on to say that the demonic forces can do that. They compromise on truth, and they lead us in a way that is not beneficial, as exactly like our story. There's been a decision to be made, they've been fooled, and they haven't asked the counsel of God. There's an easy application for this story, and we could say, yeah, in anything we do, we need to ask God. We need to ask counsel of God. And we can say that to people. If you're facing a decision or something comes to you and you need to know what to do, ask God. And that's beautiful, that's wonderful, but that sometimes can be very vague. And sometimes it's hard for us maybe to hear exactly what God would be saying. Sometimes it's good to have something a little more concrete in what to ask God in terms of asking a decision. I know when people have come to me and asked the question, "What? how do I know the way God is leading me? What is a right way to go? What is a wrong way to go? Um, there's usually a couple of things that I would say to them, and I've had friends say it in different ways, there's different ways to put it, but usually it comes down to, to three or four things that when we're asking God in regards to decisions, we can certainly ask a few questions. So I want to look maybe at the different things that have been presented, because it said they looked at them, they saw their provisions, but they didn't ask counsel of God. And how in those, and this is just my way to type it out or get to this application point of what we can do into making decisions. But as you might know, they had the sandals, the wine skins, right? The bread that was old and moldy. 
and the clothes. And you might say, Dan, you pulled out your old sweater. Well, it's a really old sweater and there's holes in it. So maybe I'm being like in a Gibeonite in, in some way today. I've got some here, some old bread. We've got an old sandal of Joy's here. I don't know if she uses these anymore, but these are the ones that break. And I didn't have a wine skin in my house, but I found this old cork of a wine uh, represent maybe an old bottle. So we have these things and what did they show us? The, the first thing I kind of wanted to look at in regards to this and what do I do in making decision is the sandal. And there's where old, but what does that show us? And looking my mind went into scripture just chapters before where Joshua is told to take off your sandals because you are on holy ground. You met, remember, remember when he met the commander of the Lord's army, you are on holy ground. And the first thing in regards to making any decision as we're seeking counsel, I want to ask a specific question is, God is holy. God's truth is right. God's glory is essential that we're looking for that. And I guess what I'm saying as we look to God and, and we look up any decision, I don't wanna make a decision that's gonna take away from his holiness, that's gonna take away from his glory, that's gonna take away from his truth, that we are given these things in God's word as truth to help and lead us. And there based on his character and who God is in his holiness. You know, in the garden, when they were tempted, the serpent said to Eve, did God really say you can't eat that fruit? It was a questioning to who God was and what he would say. And then even the serpent would continue and say, well, God just doesn't want you to be like him. And it's almost this taking away of the holiness as we look up in the goodness and think of any decision that we make as we look to God. We don't want our decision to take away from his truth, to go against his truth, against his character and his holiness. It's simple in application to think of that, to say, this is not the way to go. This might look good. This might be in fancy words and intellectual in a sense to masquerade that it is against God but I don't want to go against the holiness of God. So that's the sandal. And that's the first thing we should ask in any decision that we make or anything that we're pondering of what we should do. Listen, hey, I'm not going to watch this movie. This is not something that is going to bring glory to God or, or it is a part of his holiness or however it looks in that manner. The second thing we saw was the bread, that it was moldy and dry. And obviously my bread isn't moldy and dry, but the point being is, yeah, they examined that. And as we ask counsel of the Lord in regards to our decisions, I thought of bread in the scripture was a great picture of communion or Jesus on the road to Emmaus where he broke bread with them, where he was revealing himself through this amazing fellowship. And in the book of Revelation, we know that it says, come dine and eat with me. This idea of the bread and this picture that it is this fellowship 
that we have with God. And in any decision I make, I don't want to hinder my fellowship with God. Is this what I'm doing or what I'm being asked to do? Is this going to hurt my fellowship with God? Is this going to draw me away from him? Or is this going to be something that I continually can be brought to him? And obviously there's decisions in our life. And I would call that my peace or walking with the Holy Spirit or Second Corinthians says having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. People say, well, what does it mean to have peace? Like that's emotional. I don't necessarily see that as emotional whatsoever, but peace comes maybe from the absence of conviction or condemnation. And when I'm walking with the Holy Spirit and I feel convicted, I don't have peace. So I come back to that place where I'm walking with him, where I do have peace, where that fellowship's there, that there's nothing hindering that and there's decisions I make in my life where I have to have peace inwardly with the Holy Spirit with Christ the Spirit of Christ and I don't want to do anything that will bring conviction and unpeace in regards to what I'm doing and we've all been faced with those things that there's things that we do that will take us away from God that involve us in sin and we can say that is not going to bring me peace but it's going to bring me conviction and I want to walk in that place where I have peace with the Holy Spirit peace with God I want to walk in that place where I know he's holy he's true I'm trying to do what he's asking me and then I have that inward peace with him in any decision as I ask counsel of him the next thing we see is that old clothing. And here you go. There you go. My sweater broken. And these people had the old clothing. But as I look at that in scripture, in terms of making decisions, I just thought of those white robes that we have. Those beautiful white robes in Revelation at the banquet feast of the Lamb. Those wonderful white robes. And scripture would say, because of Christ and what he's done, that I am righteous and the old is gone and the new has come in regards to that outer clothing so i put off lying and deceit i put off sin sexual sin and i put on the new me who i am and in that love and joy and peace patience and we see that in the book of colossians and how christ has created righteousness i'm a righteous because of Christ. And now sanctification is walking in who I am. But in making decisions, I have to understand that any decision is going to affect what I do. So it's not only up and in, it's out in who I am. There are things that I can choose to do that are not going to allow me to be the righteous person that God has called and made me. And if I could maybe explain that a little further is humility. That is some of the white robe, the characteristic of Christ that now is in me. And a part of humility in looking out is being able to talk to others, being kind to them, but also asking them for help. And when we make decisions, those qualities of Christ within us that would create humility that in how I act, in how I work with others. And yeah, the motive of why I do things, not 
for myself, but for him, because he is in me now, that his work is in me, his righteousness. And it's not for me, it's for him. I'm different. And that should affect any decision. And I need to think, is that going to take me back to the old or to the new? How does that affect those around me? It's up, it's in, it's out. I had a great friend tell me that. And it's so true as we think of making decisions. But the fourth thing, which might be a little different, but it's the wineskins and as represented by my cork. But we know God would say in the Bible, the old wine is gone. There, there's, there, there's a newness. We've talked about that in some ways, but you can't try and put the new in the old. New in new works best. And when you think of that wine and that newness, I thought of the law. It, it's gone, right? In a sense that that does not drive me as much as the Holy Spirit who's written that law now on my heart. And the gift of the Holy Spirit in John 16 is very clear. He is our great counselor to lead us in all truth. And I believe that's for making decisions as well. I believe completely there's times where we are left to the truth of God's word to make decisions and we look up and we look in and we look out. And there's other times where we need to ask God and he might speak to us in regards to things we should do. And this could be all in line, but God's saying, no, don't do that or do this. And I know probably as you, that's happened lots in my life, that the Holy Spirit, this new wine who lives within me, where they didn't have that in the Old Testament, but now in the New Testament, we have this God in person, the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity living in us to speak to us and to guide us. And we can ask him, and we're told we can ask him, that we can ask for spiritual wisdom that he would direct us. And sometimes as Isaiah, the Holy Spirit behind us tells us, go left or right. Not all the time, but there certainly are those times where he will guide us and give us counsel to do things when everything's in order, but he wants to show us and guide us. So look at those things again, the sandals, the holiness of God, the bread, my relationship with him, peace, responding to conviction, the old clothing, the old off, I'm walking in the righteousness of God, how I'm dealing with others, what decision in the decision, how's it going to affect that? And then I can simply ask and listen to God and that he might speak to me, our great, wonderful counselor leading us in all truth. You know, even with all of these things in mind and trying to follow them, there are times where I have made mistakes. And we look at our story today. Their big problem is they didn't ask counsel of God. They went by sight only, their intellect, and they were fooled because they didn't have spiritual wisdom. But there's times in my life maybe I've tried to do the right thing and maybe didn't. Or even worse, I didn't like them even do the right thing or ask counsel of God. And, and I can easily be condemned or convicted about that. But I just wanted to show you one thing as we close today that meant a lot to me this week as I studied and looked at this. And I was reading a commentary the other day and it just stood out to me so beautifully. I'm reading through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah now for my devotions. And maybe you know those books. Ezra is 
as they come back from captivity in Babylon, as Israel, they rebuild the temple. And Ezra, the scribe, helps them. Nehemiah, they come back and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. But it, it's really neat because in both, there are a list of people who are accounted for who came back. So you might think and think, ah, oh, genealogies. I don't like genealogies in the Bible here. It's naming all these people and we skip over them. And I do that myself. But in these books, there's this group of people, and I don't even really know how to pronounce it. I could, but I think it's Nethinim, and it's N-E-T-H-I-N-I-U-M. And I always wondered, where do these people come from? They're not shown as people from Israel, but rather as servants. And you might be thinking, Dan, I know where you're going with this, but I, I really didn't know this. But the Nethinim mentioned Ezra and Nehemiah as coming back here servants with these people and as you read and as i read this commentary and looked at the history it's shown that they are servants who helped in the tabernacle or the temple who are those who yes probably carried wood brought the water think of that with the sacrifices you needed fire think of the water needed for the priests and and there it is it just clicked as I read that these Gibeonites is where these servants came from over the years then become a blessing. And I just want to say this, that God, even when we make mistakes, and sometimes they're on purpose and sometimes they're not, but I don't want you to think that God is not gracious. You can think back a time in your life maybe where God has been so good and gracious to lead you and take a bad decision and turn it to good. Now, I don't want you to make bad decisions. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to fall into the devil's trap. I'm not saying that at all. Don't, don't go that way. Obviously, we want to do the right thing. But I find in my life and other people's lives, sometimes we're paralyzed in making decisions. And we don't have to be, because in this, even in this mistake, we see God's grace, that he turned it and he used these people to help them years and years and years later. That God is gracious and good, and he wants us to make the right decision, but he's gracious to help us through when we make the wrong decision. We just need to continually turn to him in humility and ask him and be led by him and to trust in that goodness and that grace. He is good. His grace is amazing. And here in our story, we see they made a mistake, but yet God in his grace, God in his redemption, even though there was consequences, will use it in the long run to help them. All praise to God this morning, but may we choose to always seek the counsel of the Lord, to be looking at some of these things when we make decisions that he would be glorified. Well, I was really blessed looking into God's word this morning. I hope you were too, and I hope you have a great week, not settling for bad or good decisions, knowing God's with you no matter what, but choosing his way above all else. So thank you, Jesus. Just put these truths in our heart and our mind.
I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Be blessed. Enjoy winter. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.